This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Hi, everyone. Kira here from your content team coming to you live from the very exciting East Greenbush, New York. Um, and I could not be more excited to be here today, especially for this keynote. So first, let's see some love in the chat to the entire team that worked over the holidays and weekends to plan this whole event, to bring us together and to bring us amazing keynote speakers like Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, I know we're nearing the end of the week. You've all been a little over Zoomed, maybe, and it's a lot of information, a lot of great information, but a lot of screen time. So if you have a second, stand up wherever you are, shake off the sleepiness, get your water, your coffee, your red bill, whatever you need to get energy for this session, um, because you're not going to want to glaze over and miss any moment of it. Gary Vaynerchuk is an entrepreneur, but he is the entrepreneur. He's the chairman of VaynerX, which is a modern day media and communications holding company and the CEO of VaynerMedia. But let's talk a little bit about the fact that he was born to do this. So at the age of seven, he started a lemonade stand, but he started a lemonade stand franchise at the age of seven, So, which is absolutely incredible and should give you just some insight into how wonderful that he is at this from, from the get-go. He went to sell tens of thousands of dollars in baseball cards throughout his high school years. And when he went to work for the family business, his father's liquor store, he grew their company from $3 million to $60 million in his time at the company. On top of his expertise in business, content, social, pretty much all things digital marketing and sales, he is a five-time best New York, New York Times bestselling author. Um, you should definitely check out his books. They're amazing and inspiring. He's a sought after speaker, so we're so lucky to have him. And he's a philanthropist who's actively involved with the Ads Council, Pencils of Promise, and Charity Water. His energy is incredibly contagious, and I can't even believe I'm about to say this, but welcome Gary Vaynerchuk to Datto Kickoff 2021. I am so happy to be here and thank you so much. I clearly, uh, clearly you spoke to my mom before that intro. Um, you're very, very sweet. Thank you. Thank you everybody for having me. I'm extremely excited to uh, get into this talk and really, to be frank, get into the Q&A because I love the practicality of that. So we'll be getting to that in the back end. For some of you that don't know me, um, I, I am a kind of born entrepreneur back to the Lemonade Stand franchise and sports cards, which are back by the way now, um, in my teenage years. And you know, my, my family lived the American dream. I was born in the Soviet Union. Um, we came to this country with so little. We lived in a studio apartment with you know my grandma, my great grandma, my great grandfather, like real, real immigrant stuff. And um, and we kind of made our way. You know, my parents quickly had a second child, my sister Liz, and it was a grind there in the late 70s, early 80s, but my dad had a great uncle who had a liquor store and he gave him a job and he built himself up and eventually became the manager and eventually um, bought his own store in uh, Springfield, New Jersey. By the time I was 14, I did have those, you know, eight, nine years of sales, marketing, and branding experience. And I'm not kidding, you know, it's funny, knowing the audience for this talk, you know, I think of myself as a salesman. I think of myself as a CEO. I think of myself as a marketing and brand person. And I think all of them matter. And I think they all have interesting, um, different nuances, different things that you start with, different KPIs, different energies, but I think all of them have something to take out of this world, which I'll get into in a minute, and I think a lot of people on this call don't realize why producing two different videos or pictures or written words a day on LinkedIn 
can really change their career financially and to be very frank, happiness. And we'll get into that in a minute. So, you know, by the time I was 14, I felt like I was a pro, you know, singing Christmas carols for a dollar, shoveling snow. I was a very unique kid that when it snowed or when the summer started, my initial reaction was it snowed, oh, let's get shovels, ring doorbells, make two bucks, five bucks, later 10 bucks. When it, first day of summer, it's like, let's get our lemonade game on, let's go. I mean, I remember my friend Marissa Bird carrying a huge hose twice a week in the summer because we were gonna be washing cars for five bucks. It was just always there. And my lemonade business, you know, I, learned how to manage kids. I mean, this is just real now. It's seven, eight, nine years old. I learned how to motivate my friends, AKA manipulate and trick them into standing behind a table for six hours in the summer to sell lemonade. But I learned what the power of marketing and branding intention. I literally, this is crazy to me in hindsight, I, I had the epiphany actually on stage somewhere in my late 30s that this is what I did because I, I would always tell the lemonade story and I was like, why? Uh, you know, what did I do when they were behind the tables? And I was like, wait a minute. I was making signs and going around the neighborhood. This was the 80s where six-year-olds could run free. I would walk around the neighborhood and put up signs. I would even sit and watch cars drive by and try to figure out which tree or which post would be most likely seen by the driver so that they would buy my lemonade. And at seven years old, eight years old, in 1982 and 83, I clearly started my obsession and my curiosity around customers' attention. That played out huge in my baseball card business because the way I set up my tables was very get people's attention when they were walking through the convention or the firehouse or the mall. And then it really was an impact on my dad's business and the way that I set up the store when I first got there and moved things around and maximized our business by impacting people, buying more things because it was merchandised better. I watched customers, I watched customers, I watched customers from 14 to 22. I worked in that liquor store behind the register, bagging ice, stocking shelves, and I just watched people, how they walked, what they picked, listening to them, talking to them, listening, 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 and realizing that if I could bring them what they wanted, more so than what I wanted out of it, if I had compassion, empathy, sympathy to them, not to my greed or ambition or self-interest, that I would have leverage, right? Think about right now, the person in your company or in your life that you most value, right? Think about that person. That person is providing you value. That's why, and think about how much leverage that person has, right? Think about the fact that that person, because they bring you so much value, has leverage in your relationship. Like you don't want them to stop doing what they're doing. You don't want them to leave, quit. You don't want them to break up with you. And so I really think that kindness is the ultimate leverage, that bringing value is the ultimate leverage. And I think about that constantly. And I think about that in sales, leadership, marketing. Um, I launched one of the first e-commerce wine businesses for my dad in 1996, winelibrary.com. As a matter of fact, if you are into wine, please go to winetext.com right now. I just stood up a new thing for my dad 18 months ago that's changed his life. Um, it's a daily deal via text on wine. It's completely changed his business. And the reason I'm bringing it up is twofold. One, I love my dad and I don't think, and I, and I, I love my dad, actually three reasons. One, I love my dad the most and I'd like you to buy wine from him. Two, 
It's the damn best wine service on the internet. Today we're selling a $65 Cabernet for $26. So that's good, that's good for you. But three, and most importantly, I want all of you to learn text marketing. I think SMS is emerging and one thing I wanna leave this talk with is Clubhouse and SMS and TikTok and LinkedIn changes. I'm a practitioner. I'm not an author or a speaker, I happen to be one, but the reason I'm a good one is because I'm a practitioner. I spend 12, 14 hours a day operating something called VaynerX and VaynerMedia, which is a marketing and communications infrastructure company, and, and, and I have the Gary Vee thing, right? I'm producing content on a daily basis. These are really remarkable variables in the fact that I believe a lot of authors are intellects, um, I believe a lot of speakers are educators, and I think that's amazing, and I love that, but I genuinely enjoy the fact that I'm living your life, all of you, whether it's sales, whether it's management, whether it's marketing, whether it's leadership, and I view 2021 as the greatest opportunity era of all time. I literally believe that 2021 for our businesses, selling SaaS, selling hardware, selling hoodies, is the best year ever to do business because the advancements of technology, the lack of gatekeepers controlling what you can and can't do, the environment, the ecosystem, I think people focus so much on the negative, whether it's political unrest, whether it's um, you know overwhelming with technology, whether it's self-esteem issues and mental health issues, and I think all of those things are true. I also believe that in life, you see what you're looking for. In life, I believe you see what you're looking for. And for me, I think the word optimism is grossly misunderstood. I believe that cynical people, unhappy people, look at the word optimism and they think it's delusion. But the reason there's a word in the dictionary called delusion and the reason there's a word in the dictionary called optimism is because they're wildly different. I come from immigrant beginnings. I'm always scared to go back to that place, right? Subconsciously, I don't feel it, but it's clearly there. It makes me uncomfortably practical. However, I fear no one step or two steps or three steps backward. I don't overvalue money. It allows me to innovate. It allows me to figure out things earlier. I built one of the largest e-commerce and retail wine businesses in America as a 22, 23, 24 year old. In a world where the internet was still small, in a world where I had no venture capital money, in a world where I out-executed everyone, and it was completely religious about what can I do for you, period, end of story, which led to delivery from the internet is more convenient than driving 45 minutes to my dad's store. It meant when somebody had a bad delivery, I would throw a case of Behringer White Zinfandel in my car and drive 40 minutes and deliver it even if FedEx it up. It meant that when an employee looked sad, I asked them, are you okay? And when they said their mom was sick, I said, go home, I got this. Like, let me promise everyone here, you wanna win in 2021, be nicer. You wanna win in 2021, have more compassion. You wanna lead in 2021, lead with this, not with what your head thinks your wallet is gonna benefit from. And I know that I'm sounding fluffy and da 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 da, but let there be no confusion. I'm an assassin when it comes to business. You may be hearing fluffy things, but let me get real close to the camera here, my friends. I'm trying to win the whole thing. I'm trying to be the greatest entrepreneur of all time. I believe that kindness, compassion, empathy, sympathy, first for your employees, then for your customers, and then you can think about yourself 
is not Mother Teresa stuff. It's not Gandhi, Nelson Mandela stuff. I believe that it is sheerly and obviously the foundation of successful business in today's transparent universe. Your meanness that you think is motivating, it can't be hidden the way it used to be. And so I want people to lead with optimism, kindness, and all these kind of soft skills because I think they're the emerging superpowers of business. And I think a lot of you should really be paying attention to it. I also think that all of these things that we're talking about can be scaled, right? So my career is going along nicely and then and I'm winning on email marketing, 90% open rates, and I'm winning on Google AdWords the day it comes out, I'm buying every wine term, that's working for my dad. And then comes along YouTube. And I see this platform and I say to myself, there's something here. And you can't run ads on it on the time, at the time. So I decide to do a show. And I'd never thought of myself as gift of, you know, I thought of myself as gift of gab, but more like a good salesman or, you know, a class clown that the teacher kind of liked, you know? And so I didn't realize what I was gonna be able to do in that format, but I started a very big show that garnered a lot of attention and it really, really worked and it really got going and it really taught me, oh my God, I don't have to spend marketing money. This attention is trickling down organically to my dad's business, there's something here. And then Twitter came out and I start using it to promote Wine Library TV. And I'm like, oh my God, this Friendster MySpace thing is about to become much bigger. This social, it wasn't called social media yet. It was called Web 2.0. Twitter was known as a Web 2.0 app. And I started using it and Google buys YouTube for $1.7 billion. And I say to myself, oh my God, I was right about this, I was right about Google AdWords, I was right about email. I'm, bet, I'm not a wine retailer, I understand what people are gonna do. I need to become an investor in what I think people are gonna do. In 2007 I invested in Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr, and that obviously changed my life. My brother was graduating from college. I was starting to make videos about business that were catching people's attention. And in 2009 I decided to start VaynerMedia to do marketing for the biggest brands in the world so I could learn big business because I understood Silicon Valley, I understood small business entrepreneurship, but I didn't understand executive Fortune 500 land and I didn't understand why they were doing so many silly things in a world where I thought Netflix, Facebook, Amazon were gonna be the next big thing and they turned out to be way bigger than I even kind of predicted even though I was predicting the tippy top and so, that's been my career. I've written five New York Times best-selling books around marketing and um, and consumer behavior and psychology. But what does all this hyperbole around me mean? It means that I believe that every person who's watching this right now is me in 2009. Here's what I mean by that. I had a level of success. I was good. I was enjoying myself. I was building a big company for my parents. I was excited to think about what I was gonna do for myself next. But the scale of the internet by using the tools completely changed my life. And I believe that what the internet does is exposes things. So I don't think the internet changed me. I don't think it made me nicer and stronger at my craft. I think it made more people aware that I was nice and strong at my craft. And so, I think for everybody who's watching right now, I don't think they realize that if they started producing content on LinkedIn about what they know, not what you think people want, not to get followers, 
but to put out content of what you know. Storytell, my grandpappy taught me when I was 10. This, I now did this for my salesperson today. That's the video. You don't have to be an expert. I'm not an expert. I'm a person that has hypotheses and opinions and because a lot of them became true after 15 years and I've put the actual business wins on the board, now people look at me in a different way. But I don't, even, you know, even the flattering introduction and our talk beforehand, you know, she makes me feel so good, but I don't think that makes me special. I think it's just a nice feeling to be admired. You know, uh, and, and I think when you layer humility and curiosity around being good at a tool, great things happen. Let me give you an example. When books came out, yeah, I'm being serious now. When books came out, Clearly, and I have no knowledge of this, but this is very easy to understand, clearly there were individuals who became more aggressive at reading them and amassed knowledge. And my intuition is the ones that were able to be practical and operating were able to do something with that knowledge and succeed. When tractors and innovation hit farming, the people that didn't demonize it, and many did, Many said that's not real farming because they were fearful that it was gonna take away jobs from their people, which was a nice thing. But they were trying to fight technology, which is always the wrong answer. Let there be no confusion. If you hear or feel anything from this keynote and Q&A today, please let it be this. If you are fighting against technology, you will lose. It is the history of mankind. Tractor comes along, people fought against it, the humans that adopted it, learned it, and used it best, built the biggest farms. CNN and ESPN and MTV did this to regular television and society. Facebook and AOL and, and you know Google did it to their growth in social. The personalities that tried to build brand in the late mid-2000s, personal brands, they've gone on to do things like, this is just too obvious that the breakthrough in our humanity today, whether you wanna run for mayor, whether you wanna build a big business, whether you wanna cure cancer, whether you wanna raise some money for the PTA, it is around content. And it's around you being self-aware and you worrying, it's, there's two words, self-awareness and self-esteem. If you're self-aware, you don't try to do things you can't do, you focus on things you do like, you don't try to be something you're not. If you have self-esteem, you're not scared to put it out, the content, the video, the picture, the audio, because you're not worried if Sally Pants 49 thinks you're ugly. You're not worried that Rick Thompson from a competitive company says you're stupid. You're just not worried. You're not worried that you have bags under your eyes or you're overweight or you're losing your hair. You're just not worried. You're, you're focused on your self-esteem. You're focused on yourself. You're focused on your self-awareness, which puts you in a position to succeed. And so all of you, one of the worst, not worst, one of the challenging times in my career was around 2012 when people all wanted to be like me. And I'm a very, very over-the-top, high-energy personality who's very, very comfortable on video. And that is just not gonna be the case for everybody. And I tell everybody, and it took me a while to get to this good answer, which I think has helped people. Listen, my friends, if you're watching this right now and be like, okay, I see what Gary's setting up. He's gonna ask me to start producing a lot more content. That's the answer, by the way. Well, I don't wanna do video. Well, I'm like, good news, Sarah. You don't have to do video. You, might, For example, I'm a terrible writer. If I was a great writer, I'd be writing a lot more. 
because writing on LinkedIn crushes. As a matter of fact, my team loves when I, I write all the copy on my Instagram posts, right? All of them, everyone, every post in my life. And they get pumped when I get motivated and like write a real good one because we know the post does better. Copy is the most underrated thing in social media today. It drives so much of the success of the picture and the video. So, by the way, you might be an audio, you might be a talker, but you're insecure about your visual of how you look, or the camera makes you freeze, but you're great with talking, so good. There's now Clubhouse, an incredible app you can go and be a thought leader in. There's just recording audio and posting that on your LinkedIn. LinkedIn, for this group, knowing who's in the room, is equivalent to what Facebook was in 2012. It is a land grab of attention that will lead to incredible financial and emotional success to those in here that heed the call that I'm yelling today. Period, end of story. I could not be more passionate about everybody here getting very serious. And then what you put out is up to you. You know, my recommendation is that it brings value to people, whether it's entertaining, whether it's informational. But I also believe that stories, stories are easier for people. This is something that I'm gonna start talking a lot about, a lot more about. I think stories, just stories, like life lessons. Grandma told me, and then if you're good at, and I've already brought this up, I'm gonna bring it up again because I'm trying to help everybody here give you some training wheels. If you say, hi, I'm Karen, I'm a sales lead at this company. This is for my team, but honestly, this is for the broader world because all you sales leaders, I know how it is. You know, when I was nine, my grandmother took me to a Girl Scouts event and Sarah Johnson did this and grandma, I did this and grandma told me to do that and then I did this and me and Sarah Johnson were best friends in high school and that's ironic because I had a big tiff between Carl and Carla recently on my team and I did this, like my grandma did that and now they just closed the biggest account together. That story, that should come very natural and by the way, you don't need to call out Carl and Carla right, because that's active, you're in the world right now, you can be two people on my team. Just think about how easy that is for what everyone's struggling with, which is, well, what do I post? What do I post is grounded in lack of self-esteem and lack of strategy. Period. And so, I'm here today to build your self-esteem And not in a delusional way, I'm just trying to encourage you to realize how real this is because the content creators that build awareness and audiences will have the leverage in business, whether it's a small, narrow world. And by the way, this is a small, narrow sector, most of the business people on this call in this thing. That's great, actually. The reality is, that's great. Because then you run a couple of dollars in ads on LinkedIn against targets of companies that are in your sector and you're getting exactly who you want. I actually like when groups are narrow because you can get so much more specific. So anyway, I'm just very excited to be here. I want to encourage everyone to realize the opportunity. The internet is not a gatekeeper. You know, there's so many platforms. As people talk about big tech, you can build outside of big tech all day long. There's so much going on. Um, And there's just so much opportunity, so much opportunity. And I hope you see it. And I hope you understand the, the emotional intelligence needed to attack it. And I hope that you start to educate yourself practically. And I think the reason I like to set up Q&A for a big portion of this is, this is the macro thesis. Be practical and optimistic. Produce content at scale around stories, information, entertainment, and knowledge. Bring as much value to your community. Rinse and repeat in perpetuity for 15 years. 
that's the thesis. Now the question becomes, what are the specifics underneath it? And I think this is a good segue to get into the Q&A. So thank you for having me. And uh, I think we're gonna get into the meat right now of this keynote, and I'm excited. And by the way, any of you that are on here right now, my Twitter is Gary B-E-E. Since I've not tapped into a chat or anything like this, sometimes I like to just get a vibe or questions on that format while I'm doing live streams. So Gary B-E-E, if you, if you just uh, tweet at me and just say any feedback or follow-up questions, I can weave it into my answers a little bit here while I get these incredible questions. So thank you so much, everybody. I'm ready to keep going. Thank you, Gary. That was absolutely fantastic. We really appreciate your time and your generosity, and I cannot wait to dive into these questions. Um, so we'll take a step back for a minute and first ask you, how are you doing as we head into 2021? And how did 2020 change kind of your everyday and, and your company? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. Um, you know, it, it, you know I, I stopped traveling as much. I got more sleep. I put on 15 pounds of muscle. So I'm super pumped about that. Um, uh, you know, family time, got a tremendous amount of time with my parents, which I think is something I'll look back on as a great blessing of this time. Um, you know, it, uh, it actually allowed me to focus very heavily on Vayner Media and VaynerX, which I think led us to a much stronger foundation of success going forward, so I'm grateful for that. Um, I got to work on something called the All In Challenge, where Michael Rubin, the founder of Fanatics, stood up a nonprofit concept that I helped him on and strategized on and then executed on, which ended up being a $60 million raise for the hungry during COVID. So I got to, awesome. between that and Pencils of Promise, and you know, I got to really, kind of scratch the give back part of my life. Um, it allowed me to stand up something called Tea with Gary Vee, a show that I did during COVID and I'm actually gonna bring back. Um, it let me, but, but I miss traveling and I miss interacting with people in a face-to-face -face environment, but it did allow me to long-term be more efficient in my business, know when to use video versus in person, both for internal and external. And I think that's gonna make me much stronger and more happy and successful in 2022, 2023, 2024. Yeah, absolutely. What, what about from a sales perspective? Did 2020 impact or change how your sales organization works or do you see lasting impact for businesses on a whole uh, based on what happened last year? Um, I just think last year exposed everything. Mm -hmm. You know, outside of restaurants and you know, they're, they're clearly, some haves and have nots winners from a COVID environment. But I think, I think for me, it was just about, um, it was just about focus and reality and practicality and just a lot of great learnings. Yeah, I think one of the things that get, came up in a lot of your videos throughout COVID and for those of you who are watching um, throughout 2020 was that optimism that you brought up at the beginning of this conversation. And I think it's so important because when you ask about, well, how was your 2020? You pulled out all of the good things just now hmm. when you answered <laughs> and not any negatives. Um, and I think that's really interesting, but it's also a lesson that we can all take away. So I don't want to take away from the challenges of 2020 at all. Um, no, of and course, I think, people had those. Yeah, and I'm sorry oh, to interrupt. Um, no, you're fine. It's a really interesting observation, right? Because to your point, to me, my great-grandmother and grandmother came from the old country and really almost every time they drank tea or when the men were drinking vodka, you'd always kind of do this thing where you spoke to good health. You know, everything was to good health, to good health, to good health. And I think it brainwashed me in the greatest way of all time. I 
for me, 2020 is a year that has incredible underlining pain for a lot of people who feel that they were robbed of years with people they love. I am one of the lucky people that did not have that happen. And so thus, after that, you know, Vayner speakers and, and, and Vayner productions took massive hits, lost millions of dollars. Doesn't register because that's business. That's almost like not real life. Like money's not real life. Real life is very basic. Do the 12, 15, 20 people I love, did they live in 2020? And yes, amazing, best year ever. And, and you know, I also am a good operator, but I will say this, if I owned 15 restaurants, it would have been, and we were mandated to close. Now, from my perspective, because I always believe in innovation, I believe my DoorDash and Uber Eats and direct-to-consumer would have been stood up already, and I probably would have grown. And 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 I think it forced a lot of restaurants to finally do the right things. Uh, and so it's just a really interesting time. If you're a capable operator, and you have life in a simplistic mindset, you're going to be happy way more often. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And something we can all take away from this is to choose the good, right? When we're faced with those those difficult challenges, it's not the challenge that defines us, but how we get through it and how we innovate and how we adapt at the end of the day. Um, and so I'd like to jump into some tactical questions. Um, and we, what's nice about this audience is we're kind of a mix, right? We have sales, support, marketing, implementation, success. We're all here together. Um, so some of the questions will mean more to teams than the others, but I think we can all learn from these. Um, so in one way or another, we're all content creators, right? Yes. We have our content team for sure, um, but training and implementation creates training videos for our partners. Sales is constantly the face of the company and creating content in one way or the other. So what's the greatest lesson in terms of content um, that you've learned over the years that you might wanna share with the team? When you're a sales-driven organization, the most important thing to do with content is make it brand. Content on the internet is everyone here's opportunity to offset the aggressiveness of what is sales. It's an opportunity to provide value to the audience. It's a way to provide affinity towards you and your company by showing the humanity, aka silly things like just think of The Office, the TV show. Like if you have somebody funny in your company named Ricky, like get Ricky on video because it, it shows a different side to what everyone's accustomed to, which is the cold LinkedIn, the cold email, the cold call, the very quick to, hey, let's do business at a conference. So the biggest thing I've learned for sales-driven organizations, which is amazing, I love sales-driven organizations, you know, is thinking about content as your appetizer to the sales being the meal. If you have a great appetizer, you're setting up a great meal. And so I think the biggest mistake I see it over and over and over and over and over and over and over in these dynamics is that people use content as a sales engine instead of a brand engine. Nike doesn't call, call you or knock on your door and ask you to buy you know, their sneakers. And even when you think about Salesforce and SAP, even though they have great sales DNA and infrastructure, there's so much brand going on for a reason. You need to have that offset, right? You need to have that honey to the vinegar. You need to have that good cop to the bad cop. Content on LinkedIn is the good cop. And I think that is a very difficult maneuver for the DNA of most of the people that are watching this right now, period. 
and that's okay. That doesn't mean you're bad. Doesn't mean you're stupid. It means that there's a humongous, uncomfortable, monstrous opportunity that if you heed the strategy of what I'm talking about and start implementing it, like why not do an hour of Q&A on LinkedIn and just answer questions. Everyone's so fear-based and so like lack of, you know, people are not abundant, right? Like I'm, I give away all my best advice. I'm not scared of somebody starting another agency or another agency taking it. Like it doesn't matter, the world's abundant. I'm gonna get mine. Why, why do you think it is that people in sales-driven organizations might have that fear? And what advice can you give to kind of overcome it? Because like you said, there's this monstrous opportunity, but sometimes there's a lot of hesitation there. Almost everybody thinks that resources are limited and they have, and almost everybody has a boss. I don't have a boss, so it's easy for me to talk this way. You know, I have empathy and compassion for somebody who's listening right now and does a seminar and gives away a lot of great advice and their boss coming to them and saying, what are you doing? That's like how we get clients and then they get fired or lose their bonus or are pegged down in the organization. Unfortunately, fear is remarkably effective and a real human trait. Um, I just don't believe in it. And so what I, you know, I just believe that there's so much more financial and by far, there's more financial, but by far there's so much more happiness on the back of going with optimism and abundance as your mindset. And so I think it's culture. I think it's the industry culture for many, 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 many years. And I think that business has historically had a cold, you know, kill or be killed kind of mentality. And, you know, I think of sports a little bit, uh, I think business more like sports. I, as a fan, get so angry after a Jets game when my Jets lose and they go and hug all their friends on the other team because I'm but the reality is I actually fully understand it. I want to kill, crush, destroy, defeat, outmaneuver everybody I compete with at every second. It is my DNA. However, not at the detriment of their lives. Like I want to do 10 trillion and I want you to do 9 trillion. And that's how I think and I, I wish more people realized how real that is and how true that can be. Um, and that's what I think about. Great. Thank you so much. I think something something else you mentioned that I want to pull on a little bit is you mentioned Nike and how they go about doing what they do. And I think a really interesting thing for us is we're a business to business organization. Um, and I think a lot of companies in that B2B world say, okay, we're B2B. So we're going to do marketing and sales the way B2B should do it. But there's so many lessons we can learn from the B2C world. And I think you know, there's hesitation to step outside of that box and do something a B2C company might do. So what lessons can we learn from B2C to help us differentiate ourselves in the market? Um, first of all, B2C uh, is just far more creative because they don't use the laziness of, well, we're in B2B, we can't do that as an excuse. Let's just start with that. You know, I think, um, I think that B2B marketing to me is actually more exciting than B2C marketing because I think LinkedIn is in this 2012 to 14 Facebook place. Mm -hmm. And I think the impact of winning something in B2B is so much greater than B2C. So I put out a good 
you know, right hook in this keynote to winetechs.com, right? And four people sign up and that's awesome, right? However, if VaynerMedia got a client out of this call for Vayner Talent or the Sasha Group, that's so much more significant. That's like 4,000, 5,000 people signing up for WineText. I think the stakes are so high in B2B marketing and I think B2B marketing the way it's supposed to be or has been done is garbage. Like spending money at a conference where you see the same people, like you like cool, but like like people are spending real money on booths and real money on full page ads and print in B2B magazines. Like let's listen, let's speak to the elephant in the room. The B2B industry for the most part, especially if they do under 250 million in top line revenue a year, they're not in the marketing business. They're in the sales business. It's all sales. Marketers get made fun of in B2B environment because they don't prove their value. Yet, I stand here today and I will be one of the greatest businessmen of all time and I know it to be true and it's because of the way my mother parented me. But I can't show you the chart or the search query or the data point that proves that. I just know it to be true. We have people in B2B sales who make fun of marketers who say, prove to me that worked, that believe in God. Just gonna say it one more time. We have people, this was one of my favorite moments in my career, this is why I'm bringing it up. I was in a, uh, might have been a keynote or conference, but it was a nice little dinner of eight, 10 very smart people and a very big B2B company. And the one guy was the head of sales and the one gal was head of marketing. And he was going at her and I was kind of like, not going at her very mean or inappropriately, but like he was razzing like, we do the real you get to have fun, waste money, right? And I'm listening and I'm eating. And you know, and then he started getting a little bit into bully territory. And I kind of looked at him and the gentleman was wearing a big cross and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a flag in the ground in this debate. I go, sir, I go, John, I go, um, you believe in God? He goes, the most, more than any person here. I believe in God the most. I go, cool. So Karen, you're saying, does all these things, but it's waste because she can't prove that it works, right? Yeah. I go, just do me a huge favor. Right now, prove to me God exists. It was one of the most interesting conversations in my career. I am fascinated how people don't understand that branding and marketing is the most important. Does it have the difficulties to be judged that sales doesn't? Of course it does, that's why I love sales. Sales is black and white. I, Gary, sold 19 things, yay. I, Gary, the marketer, have been doing things for 15 years that nobody could understand, yet I sit here today with the luxury of the beautiful accolades that you gave me coming here, this wonderful audience that's leaving comments left and right, the you know nine figures of financial success that I've created at a young age and I haven't even started, all because of marketing and branding. So it's a very powerful conversation. Thank you so much. And I think I want to give a shout out to the sales and marketing team um, together because I think that's why we have these meetings is to bring us together so we can work collaboratively as a team. And I think uh, everything that Gary's saying is something we can definitely take away from this conversation. Um, I think one of the other things that we want to talk about, so you brought up cold calling a little bit just a few moments ago. And we do have individuals on our team that 
that's part of their job is the cold calling. So how, what advice can you give to them and how do you go about cold calling in this environment and do it in a creative way where you can really get someone's attention? Um, because it is a little more difficult than if we, you have all those, you know, marketing leads or you have a relationship with somebody already. Look, you have to know the mission you're on, right? There's some people that are part of an army that go into enemy lines without guns during Vietnam and were part of that squad that, you know, and that, um, you know, that was a very different mission than being a general back at the fort, right? Or being somebody with the guns back at the, you know, at the precinct. So to me, um, cold calling is an incredible challenge. Let there be no confusion. I think nobody here is confused. Very few people are fired up in 2021 to get a cold call. Um, At the same token, it is something that works. There are people who have charisma, charm, strategy. Um, I think the number one answer to cold calling is compassion. If you establish the person that just picked up the phone within the first 30 seconds, three seconds, nine seconds, that you are understanding that is likely that they are not excited to hear you. However, you genuinely, your soul, believe you have something to bring to the table. I think that is the feeling you need to pass on within those first six seconds. And I would tell the people that are in the front lines of cold calling, don't apologize. Under, you know, don't, don't, don't be depressed. I say so many people reach out to me like, Gary, I have to cold call. I'm like, that's okay. It's awesome. And then other people are like, cold calling's the best because they're awesome at it. It's a, it's a very narrow thing. They've got that thick skin and they're just a machine, you know? And so, you know, I think, I think, A, don't be apologetic and find compassion. And then B, if you're crushing it and you love it, add some things to your repertoire, including it's wonderful that you're just a machine and unemotional and you eventually get six. Well, if you deployed compassion and empathy in the first six seconds, you might get 39 out of those thousand calls. Yeah, so the point um, that you bring up about compassion, kind of understanding the person that you're talking to, really knowing where they're coming from, what they need. That's a big theme for us this week, this year. You know, know your MSP, the managed service providers that we that we serve. And I know it's something you talk a lot about in your content is understanding your audience and really knowing them. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more from you about the importance of that. And we we always say we put our partners first, but how can we go about doing that in a bigger way in 2021? And how do you go about doing that um, at VaynerX and VaynerMedia? We ask them what they value the most. Some value us paying them more. Some value us having me give them a shout out because they need brand. Some value coming in and learning how to do marketing in exchange part barter to them being a partner. You know, bringing value comes down to listening. When you decide the value you're gonna give someone, you're not providing value you're giving what you want to give. That's a very different relationship than asking someone what they want and then being able to figure out how to provide it. And by the way, if you have kind candor when somebody says something you can't provide, you can also articulate that. There are people ask me for things all the time that in my early 20s I would dodge because I didn't want to be mean and that led me to be not the man I wanted to be. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't stand up enough. And now in my older age, I'm like, look, I can't do that, Karen. That's not in the best interest of what I want to be doing. And so I think kind candor on the back of listening as a communication to your partners will lead to dramatically more fruitful events. And I think part part of knowing our partners 
for, so we're talking about sales and marketing a lot, but we have a ton of support people here. We have implementation people here. Um, so I'd love to talk about support and really understanding our partners in that way, understanding your audience and how we can add more value once they're, they become a customer. I know you have a great story um, about the liquor store and someone who got a jersey in the mail. Mm, I don't want to give huge. it away. Yeah, this but is I, huge. I would love for you to tell that story or any other similar stories. Um, let, let me tell this one. Support. This one's really good because I think creativity is the way to really win the B2B game. And this was a very creative B2C example that I do in B2B land all the time now. If all of you had 49 targets to do business with, <clears throat> your ability to follow them on LinkedIn and Twitter, most likely Instagram as well potentially, is very high. You hit follow. If you then read what they're interested in and what they love in life, you now have an opportunity to create a connection point. Sending somebody a bottle of Dom Perignon and saying, we'd love for you to consider us, may not land if they are rehabbing from alcoholism. May not land if they just don't like champagne. May not land with me who really knows about wine and doesn't want that champagne, wants something smarter and cooler. You didn't know anything about me. I know that you just send bottles of champagne to everybody that's a big wig, not gonna land. Intent didn't land because I know that I don't mean anything to you. You're trying to get me through this thing. However, let me paint you a different story. So I'm writing this book called The Thank You Economy back in 2011. And it talks about providing value. And I remember thinking, you know, I'd like a little bit more tangible you know, example. It, it didn't work out for me. It didn't make the book, but it's here I am a decade later about to tell the story. I called Wine Library and I said, hey, the next time you get a first time customer, place an order, I want you to take the name, I want you to go to Twitter search, and I want to see if you can actually find the person. So it took a while because most people just weren't on Twitter at the time. And more importantly, most people didn't have unique enough names or put where they were from. It just took a while before we finally found a person with a unique enough name who lived in Chicago, and on their Twitter account it said they lived in Chicago. It was a unique enough name. We kind of thought we had our person, right? And so we monitored what he was talking about. So here's this gentleman who buys a case of Pinot Grigio. I remember it like yesterday. And all he talks about is Jay Cutler. Jay Cutler was the former quarterback of the Chicago Bears, and he is just on it. Jay Cutler this, he's the best, da da da, I love you, da da da. da. So, team calls me and says, hey, good news, we got one. We got this guy in Chicago, he's a huge Jay Cutler fan. I go, great. I go, why don't you go to eBay and buy a Jay Cutler signed jersey? I'm on the phone, I'm about to get on a plane, I remember it like yesterday. Um, <laughs> and he, he, they say, Gary, that's like 400 bucks, and what he bought was a $180 case that we were making $9 on after shipping. And I'm like, uh-huh, lesson time. I, I got the teacher, I go, do it. So we buy it, we send it, we say thank you from Wine Library, thank you for joining our family, uh, hope you enjoy the Pinot Grigio. So now I'm pumped, right? I'm like, wait till this guy gets it, he's gonna post it on Twitter, he's gonna call out, da da da. Two months later, nothing. I like check if we had the right address about a month later when I remembered. And I'm so sad because I thought this was gonna be so epic. We did some other little ones, got some little stuff here and there. And then I get a phone call. It's funny, I travel a lot. Ironically, again, getting on a plane. This time I was actually on the plane, like walking in, sat down in my seat. And, and the team says to me, hey, we have some great news. Do you remember the Jay Cutler thing? I'll go, yeah. He, what'd he do? 
He goes, not him, get this. So they go on to say, Gary, somebody just placed a $6,000 order for Burgundy wines, very high-end stuff. I'm like, cool, what's that, what, what, and let us read you the note that he put in the notes field. That's usually for gift notes, but he wrote something else, which was, mm-hmm. dear wine library, uh, first of all, please hold these wines because they're expensive and it's a little hot here in Florida. I want you to, you know, you know, wait. It was Florida or Texas, I don't recall at the time, but like, we have warm weather, can you hold the wines? Two, you have an incredible Burgundy selection. I'm also looking for Romani Conti and this and that. You know, can you please reach out to me? Three, uh, a couple months ago, a friend of mine, let's just call him Don, Don, received a Jay Cutler signed jersey in the mail after he bought some wine from you. Um, A, that's incredible. B, I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. Have a good day. To me, yeah, to me, that was just unbelievable. To me, that was everything I believe in, which is doing the right thing is always the right thing. We clearly showed a human being we went out of our way to get to know them and do something special, surprised and delighted. That created word of mouth, not on the internet like we anticipated, but in his circle, led to somebody becoming aware of our business and led to this moment. That's called business. And I think everybody who's watching right now has 50 to 100 people they're targeting to do business with. I couldn't recommend more for them to follow their interests and engage with people around their interests, whether it's sending them a, you know, a violin with a note attached to it, whether it's just replying to them around the things they like because they also love Dave Matthews Band and that, they'll nerd out on that and that will lead. This is about humanity. This is about what you would do if you were in the same country club or, the, or part of the same Elks club or part of the same book club with somebody that potentially you could do business with. You would be human and you would win around human interactions. I just believe that this scales your ability to do it with 200 people instead of two. Yeah, and I think that's something every single one of us can take away whether we're in marketing, sales, support, success, you know, we're all interfacing with partners in different ways. And that's something we can take away. And there's a great example of that. The first time I ever went to an MSP trade show, I was at a table with a bunch of CEOs that we serve um, at managed service providers. We talked about business for 10 minutes. We talked about Star Wars for an hour and a half. (laughs) And it was just that human connection. And I think there's so many opportunities for each one of us, regardless of our role, to really act on on what you're saying, Gary, and make those human connections. Um, I know we only have a few minutes left. Let me just say one more thing, I apologize. No, go for it. Let's not demonize technology, which a lot of people are doing because they want to use it as an excuse to not do it. Mm -hmm. Realize that technology is the gateway to real interaction and your life will change. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, we just have a couple minutes, so I'm gonna pick one question here. We have a, a lot of good ones, but we're growing as a company. It's very exciting to see where we're going. Um, and I think how do we, one of the big questions that we had from multiple people actually, was how do we keep teams motivated and keep the culture, the, culture, the company culture at the same time as we scale and become much bigger? Um, the answer is listening and I'll give you the practical execution. Mm-hmm. Do obnoxious amounts of coffees, happy hours, random pop-up, or after hours, Zooms with your people. Talk. Engage. Like it's like when, it's like children. 
If children feel like their parents are in it, they end up being better people. It's not super complicated. Make your people know that you're in it with them. Have meetings, be with them. Do random fun stuff, have a quiz show for the employees at 7 p.m. once every month. You know, just do a random email at night when you're feeling the culture's a little down and say everybody on this Zoom link at 10 a.m. tomorrow and just shoot the You know, like, be human. I mean it. Any final words of wisdom before we, we wrap up? And thank you again so much for your time and all of this wonderful insight. Content is the unlock. It just is. You may not see it. You may not think you're good at it. You may not want to do it. But it's been so consistent and obvious and it will continue. Let me show you something real quick. You think Zoom and TikTok and Instagram are crazy? This is coming. Now, eventually when it's humongous, as big as I'm gonna predict right now, I don't think it's gonna be some huge device that's gonna be like this. I think it's gonna be closer to contact lenses or much smaller. But in the next 15 to 30 years, we will live in a VR world. And you're gonna think the iPhone and TikTok was child's play. You will be in virtual conferences, you will be doing virtual meetings, you will, you will. And if you're 60 right now and you're watching, be like, good, I'm not gonna have to deal with that, I'm gonna retire. That's fine, I understand. But the thesis remains. Figure out how to be human, figure out how to bring value, figure out how to do content. And this, I think of this as, this is a marathon, this is coming. So how do you train for a marathon? Well, you run on the treadmill every day. To me, LinkedIn and and Instagram and Twitter and making content, starting your own podcast, this this is training for the race. This is training for the race. I really, really need you to train for the race. It's how all of society is gonna be structured. Definitely business. That's amazing. Thank you so much again to everybody who's listening. Definitely go check out Gary Vee. This keynote was fantastic. There's so much that each one of us can take moving into 2021 to make this the best year at Datto and the best year as a team that we'll ever have. Um, And Gary, thank you. Thank you for your time and the great answers and just... You're wonderful. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you, Dado. <laughs> Thank you so much. I see some of your tweets. I'm going to try to get into during the day. Gary VEE, if you have a follow-up question. I love all of you. Healthy 2021. As we end today's podcast, I want to give a huge shout-out to the people. You know, it's so funny. People that leave reviews and written reviews of this podcast on Apple, Spotify, and all the other platforms just mean the world to me. You've taken an extra 13 to 95 seconds to show love and also give context to people of why this is a worthwhile podcast. So I appreciate that so much. And even more fun, because uh, I think we all love a little cosign or a shout out or a little awareness. Uh, I'm gonna have the team give a couple of shout outs uh, daily on uh, our favorite reviews. So take it away, which were our favorites this week? 